All right, switch papers with someone nearby. Hopefully you're able to read the entire assignment before today's class. Um, and uh, what did you guys think about the reading today? On preaching style? Did you read it? Maybe, hopefully. Um, according to Adams, what's the purpose of preaching style? A, to frustrate and confuse. B, to make yourself well-known and well-respected. C, to cover the fact that you don't really understand what you're trying to communicate. Or D, to provide an appropriate and effective medium for communicating content. <laughs> D, I think what he's trying to establish early on in the chapter is when he says style is language usage. Quote. That's the way he starts. Style is language usage. The point is, is that when he talks about preaching style, it's not like you should have a specific style for how you preach that's unique to how you speak or different from how you speak. There is a, I think you've all heard preachers do preaching style. Have you ever heard people do preaching style when they talk? And it's like, mm -hmm. it has a lilt to it. It has a way of talking. And he's arguing against that kind of talk because he says it's distracting and it pulls away from a communication of the passage itself. Yes, sir. Had a pastor years ago, he referred to those kind of preachers as Dr. Bottle Stopper. <laughs> Dr. Bottle Stopper. Okay. Dr. Bottle Stopper. Yeah, yeah. There is a there is a definite style of preaching that um, some people feel like they have to emulate in order to be preaching. And he's saying that's not preaching. Just because you do something a certain way doesn't make it preaching. Uh, style is just how you use your words. Everyone has your own style. You can't have a neutral style, and you can't completely avoid style altogether. Style itself is not sinful. Style is just how you use your words to communicate. Everyone has their own way of doing things. Ryan and Kevin are going to communicate differently. Because they're different people. Charles and I are going to communicate differently because we're different people. That's neither good nor bad. It's just how God made us different to communicate uh, differently. Okay. Uh, number two, according to Adams, how should we use preachy language or style? Words like beloved unto, like unto, veil, babe, and sepulcher. A, thoroughly remove it. B, use it only during funerals and weddings. C, use it liberally. Or D, provide a printed glossary of commonly used terms at the back of the auditorium for the uninitiated. D. It's A, yeah. Def definitely don't use the printed glossary of terms. Have you ever used babe from the pulpit? Um, only when talking about my wife. Yeah. yeah. No, um, this is less common than it used to be. Again, this is, book was a time of his age. This was a much more common thing. Sometimes people still do it, um, but you don't hear it very much anymore. It's not as common as it used to be. People would, yeah, yeah, babe, um, like, a, I mean, it's a biblical word. It's just not a word. We would say baby. Uh, babe is not typically how we'd say that. And so he's basically saying these are words like that, you know, rend the veil and bring us to the sepulcher. You know, that kind of talk is just not super, it, it, does, it doesn't, it's exalted, but it isn't necessarily communicating what you think it's communicating. Sometimes people don't understand what those words mean. And so it's actually a barrier to, to understanding. So his argument is we should thoroughly remove it from our style. Um, okay, uh, C, which of these is correct? A or B? A. A is correct. Content should control style. Style should not control content. Your style follows. Content is, the, is, the, is what, is what sets, the, sets the stage, and then style is a servant to content. Okay. True or false, style is a means of bringing a message to the listener. It must never become an end of itself, in itself. True. Yeah. He's just saying the same thing over and over again. He's trying to kind of make sure we understand... Um, What's going on? Five, which of these is not one of the four steps you can take to put in better use the vocabulary you already possess? Be funny. C, be funny. It is one of the words he uses. Yeah, he talks about being ruthless. <clears throat> so, be for yeah. That is, uh, that is hard. Um, so improving your style, um, what he says here, I have a quote I pulled from the book. What you should be looking for at the end of all this is 
is full fluency. This is your goal and the purpose for modifying your present speech habits. Full fluent speech calls no attention to itself while effectively communicating content to the listener. It enables the congregation to focus attention on the message rather than on the messenger. Fluent speech enables the preacher to get out of the way of the truth. That's the concern we have. And I, I like that. I think that's, that's a good, valid concern. That is, preachers... Preacher, have you ever talked to someone who's in love with the sound of their own voice? Have you ever heard a message by a preacher and you wonder if he's just really enjoying himself going on and on and on? I have. Dr. Bottle Snopper, yeah. I have. I've heard, I've heard people preach and I'm like... He's kind of enjoying the way his voice sounds too much. And let us not be like that. Okay? Uh, we're, not, we're not here to bring glory to ourselves. All of the work you do in style is not to draw attention. It's to get out of the way so the message can shine through you, so people get what you're trying to say. So, um, If you're a musician, you know technique is very important. But you don't just study technique for technique's sake. I think Yo-Yo Ma said once, he said, uh, you learn technique so that you can transcend it. And that's the whole point, is that you don't just, you don't just learn technique. Or I'm not, the same thing goes with this class. I'm not just teaching you a step series so you can go through the step and have a perfect sermon every time. I want you to be able to understand the process so one day you can, you can then you can get lost, you lose the, the structure and you get lost in how can you communicate this message. Uh, one other quote I had here is uh, similar. He says, there is no easy way to make the change. Remember why you were going to all the effort. Well, I just said that. No, I didn't. It's because you want to develop a style that rather than calling attention to itself will be so clear, so appropriate, so accurate that without distortion it will convey God's truth with power to needy listeners. Any preacher who does not find that a compelling purpose to pursue ought either to repent or re-examine his call to ministry. So it is a, I, I thought that was very, very important to think about. Any comments or thoughts about his, his comments about preaching style? <laughs> Being able to have complete command of your vocabulary immediately. Right. Yeah. So what I would recommend on that front is um, some, I have found that when I preach, what I try to do is as I'm working, sometimes a way of saying something will occur to me. I'm like, oh, probably the best way to say that is this. And I'll write it out explicitly in my notes. And sometimes I'll recall it from memory while I'm preaching. Other times I'll see it and I'll remember, oh yeah, I want to say it that way. And it's very intentional. I try to say something a certain way because I believe that's the best way I can say it. And, and there's nothing wrong with thinking ahead and working. You don't have to just call it, like recall it off the top of your head. You want, it, you want to think through what you're going to say before you say it. You want to think through how you're going to say it before you say it. There's nothing wrong with thinking through a couple, making sure you have the right words, being clear, being you know, precise in your, in your, in your vocabulary. Yes, ma'am. Not anymore. I did when I was starting out. Yeah. So when I, uh, I'm working with Jermel Chisholm right now too. Uh, it's Sunday afternoons we're meeting, and he's almost, he's pretty much done with his message. And we're at the point now where I said, okay, what you got to do? And he was struggling with some flow in the in the sermon. It just wasn't flowing right. And I could have just corrected it for him. And I really was tempted to be like, well, what you do is do this. And but I was like, oh, he, I said, go home. And like, just try to preach it to your, like record it. Everybody has a recorder now. You have a phone or a tablet or something you can record. And just listen to yourself. And as you talk out the message or as you preach it, and don't just, um, don't just talk it out, like actually preach it, actually teach it. You'll find that you, you naturally kind of develop the flow of the thought better than sometimes when you're writing because you're not used to it. So I, yeah. So I don't, I don't do it anymore. But, by, but honestly, like by the time I'm preaching the second service, I've already done it once. So, you know. Yeah, it's my test case. And sometimes that's bad because then I'm like, something really works well in the first service. And it wasn't exactly that way in my notes. And so I'm trying to remember, okay, I knew that. I know that that was what I wanted to say, but how do I get there? <laughs> that's a really, that's a weird, that's a weird problem that, you know, not everybody has. Yes, ma'am? Because he said Shakespeare uses 
the average college student graduates knowing more than 250,000 words, but Shakespeare only uses less than 25,000 words in his writings and is very powerful and dramatic. Right. Um, I am not about uh, the variety of your vocabulary. I'm about the precision of your vocabulary. Okay? There's a difference. Like, I don't want you to be able to describe a flower using 25 words. I want you to just name the flower. You know, one takes you too long. And the other one, if you just say a tulip, I know what that is. So precision in language is more important than being able to use lots of detailed language. Also, what's really impactful when you're speaking is vivid language. So I remember one time I was in a class preaching, and I had to preach on Ananias and Sapphira, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. We all had assigned texts. And um, I had this idea. I was like, you know, stories are difficult, and so I wanted to make it as vivid as possible. So I came up with this idea of, of the dirt still on the shovels, you know, of as after, after Ananias gets taken out, you know, the dirt's still wet from the, on the shovels when they take his wife. You know, they have to knock. And so I used that, and one of my friends was like, that was really cool. Like, because it's a visual thing. Like, it's show, don't tell. You know, that, you know it's just, it, it, if you can, it, not, I'm not saying come up with something like that. I'm just saying that, like, and I don't do that very often. That just, that was in a class, and I, I probably, I don't know if I'd even do that here, because it was a little bit of a, you're supposed to kind of, in a class when you're preaching, you're supposed to kind of do things a little out of the ordinary, you know, to, to stretch yourself. Um, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, so I, I'm not about, when it comes to vocabulary, personally, I'm not about like having a, a large number of words that you're going to cram into one sermon. I'm talking about like, can you use the right word? at the right time to communicate using less. Does that make sense? But I didn't remember him saying that about Shakespeare. I have to go back and look at this. I'm sure it is. I just, I must have glanced over it when I was reviewing. I, I, I always glance over the, the chapter and re, and, and, but I don't, I don't always read every single word, so I miss that part. Because it's Shakespeare. It's like two there it is. Yeah, that's what he's saying. The average call, it's not a large vocabulary you need. It's the right, that's the same thing, I, that's the same thing I'm saying. What you lack is not a recognition vocabulary. It's an everyday working vocabulary. Use more of the vocabulary you already have. Yeah, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah. Any other comments or questions? Because I know some of you guys have to do your FC or propositional statement and get out. I just like when he said it's not about you. People should leave saying what a wonderful Christ we have. Because it's all about pointing to the cross. Yeah, it is. Okay, so here, here's something you have to struggle with. When you teach or preach, somebody's going to come up to you and say, great job. How do you handle that? Praise the Lord. Yeah, you can say praise the Lord. Um, my encouragement to you is always directed back to the message preached. So I usually say something like, that's very kind of you to say that. I really, it really worked on me this week. God, God's word is so good. Or man, you know, God's word is powerful or whatever. Try to direct it, try to direct attention back to the word and, and don't, don't say, don't say that, you know, don't, don't rebuff because people are trying to be kind if they say that to you and they're trying to encourage you, especially if you're, if you're newer if you're not used to speaking and they're trying to, wow, that was good. Good job. You know, you can see, say thank you, but don't, don't let that go to your head. Don't, don't take that praise. Don't make that the reason you preach, teach for attention. I think a lot of us say that for, it shows our lack of precision in uh, vocabulary. It's what we really mean. That really spoke to my heart. I needed that. Right, right. You know. That's just the message I needed to hear this morning. Yeah, so when you're in the, when you're, yeah, so think about it that way. When you're going through the line, talking to the preacher after they preach, after I preach, or after Drew or Randy or whoever, maybe, maybe think about how it, you know, what can you say that would communicate that you appreciate what the message was of the scripture and that they weren't a distraction? Like that, that's the whole goal. That's my goal. When I, I try to get out of the way, I try to get lost in preaching so that you just want to communicate that message with fervency. You want, please understand what I'm trying to say that. 
And if you can, if you can do that, then I think that you're, it doesn't always happen. Like I said, um, it's hard to do, but, um, that's the goal. Okay. I thought, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good chapter. I thought it was a good chapter. Okay. Um, look at our schedule real quick for today. We're on 310. I was going to ask you to turn your propositional statement. Oh, turn in your quizzes. Yeah. Um, also, we're going to talk a little bit about homiletical outlines after we talk about your FCFs. Um, I don't know if we're going to get into illustrations and applications today, but if not, we have all next week to talk about it too. Um, all right, so um, I'm going to just start a new document here, and I'm going to keep track of your propositional um, statements. And uh, I'd like for you to tell me the passage and the statement. Let me pull up. Let me do this. So we can... Uh, how do I do this? Like, how do I do this? I don't remember that. There we go. Um... <coughs> So I can look at, okay. So um, who do we have first for propositional statements today? And uh, let's start, who needs to go, you guys need to both do music. So we'll start over here. After do cadence, we'll do Ryan. So we'll start with you, Abby. And we'll go around, okay. What do you have, what's your passage? My passage is First Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13, and your FCF is? Do you have that? So we're going to do FCF and proposition. Sorry. So we can see how the FCF is answered by the proposition. So my FCF is that people are self-centered. Okay. And then the proposition is because love is self-sacrificing, you must love others to God's way. Okay. Uh, because love is self-sacrificing, you must love others God's way. Um, love is self-sacrificing. Is that uh, my only concern? Is uh, where which part? Which part is your? Um, okay, so this is going to be the one that stays the same every time, or which one is the command? The command stays the same every time. So I'm going to bold that. And what is your? What are your? Do you have? You don't have it an outline yet, do you? Or anything Not like that? Really no. Because yeah, the issue with this passage that's difficult is the self-sacrificing part is part of it, it's not all of it. Um, so, I need to figure out something. Yeah, I need something that's a little bit broad, like... Um, yeah, it, it's... it's uh, love reflects God's attributes. That's like in the middle part. This is talking about love being valuable. This is talking about love's identity. This is talking about love's eternality, in my opinion. Um, uh, let's help her. Um, I'm just. I'm not. Th I don't think this covers the the whole. Yeah, love's value. Yeah. So value. God uh, 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 reflects God's character, um, and then the last one was eternal. So, how how could what could you say about about those three characteristics? What are the, what are they? What could you just say all those three things? Not particularly. Not in your propositional statement. No, propositional statement. You want to be. If you have three things like that, you want to sum, You want to kind of bring them all together. Now, here's here's my suggestion. Go back. Go back to chapter 12. So uh, if I get some context here and I go back one verse. Do you remember, do you remember this intro to the, to the chapter, chapter 12, verse 31? The most more excellent way. Um, let's come back to you. Okay, think about it. Cadence. Um, mine is kind of wordy. Okay, so my FCF is we often forget who we once were. Uh, and then my proposition. Is this Ephesians 2? Yeah, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Um, I don't love my proposition, but it's because God has saved you from so much, you must remember who you were before God saved you. Because God saved you from so much, 
you must remember who you were before God saved you. Okay, thoughts? Um, so, workmanship, workmanship. Yeah. So you're, yeah, it's just a little wordy. I think the idea, I think the idea, I think I, if I could just hang on to what you're saying, I think the idea is pretty fine. I think it's because God saved you from this great thing. You must remember who you were before he saved because of, um, because of, think about it this way, because of where God has brought you, you must remember where God took you from, is what, kind of what you're saying. Now, that's not maybe the best way of saying it either. Because he says all this, but God, who is rich in mercy. That's what you're getting to, right? Yeah, and I also really like, I don't know how exactly how to put it, but I feel like it's split up really well from who we once were or what God has made us and who we now are. So I would like to kind of stay with that theme of, yeah, past, present, future, or pa- okay, past, present, stated. So uh, yeah, something like that is fine. You just need to tweak the wording to make it a little bit uh, less wordy. Okay, Ryan. All right, um, Genesis twenty-two, one, uh, Genesis twenty-two, verses one through eighteen. Okay. Uh, my FCF is often we fail to obey God because we do not understand what He is doing. Okay. And my proposition is because God has a reason for everything he commands us to do, we, you must obey him in faith. Everything he commands us to do, we must obey him in faith. Okay, thoughts? I know it's a bit wordy. I was a little confused as to how to do the worksheet with the narrative. Yeah, yeah it's first time I've tried to do a narrative worksheet, so I, I, I get that it's probably got hiccups. Uh, I think it's pretty good. I, I don't really have a whole lot because God has a reason. I would just cheat for what he, you know, for what he commands, what he commands. Yeah. Um, oop, I don't know why it's doing that. We must, remember what I said about we? You. You must obey him in faith. Something like that would be a little bit snappier. Because God has a reason for what he commands. You must obey him in faith. Any more thoughts for Ryan's? Does that make sense? God has a reason. Abraham didn't realize it. Okay. You guys can go. Thank you for uh, still coming to class. Have a good practice. Are you going to return? Depends on how long it takes. Okay. Well. If you can come back, that'd be great, because we'll try to see if you can help out everybody else, too. Because we might have a little more time here at the end. Rachel. Um, Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. 5, 8 through 14. Yeah, and you didn't really like my FCS. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I gave you that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, what was your one? It was something about darkness. About I forget exactly what you had. Um, it was how do Christians serve, how do Christians avoid surrendering to the whole darkness? Yeah. 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 So this is a this is a more pointed FCF for sure. So what's your theme or proposition? Sorry. Because you are light through Christ, you must say it again. Avoid exposed darkness. Exposed darkness. Ah. So maybe this is maybe this is not a good FCF for that. If that's going to be your proposition, read your original proposition again. Even Christians feel no something like. It was how Christians avoid surrendering to the pull of darkness. Oh, let's keep that field the pull to darkness. Let's keep that pull to darkness in there. Um, and there's a million ways you could go with this. Like you think about the way so many Christians are pulled into witchcraft, 
like watching movies that reading books and getting fascinated with dark arts and Ouija boards and tarot cards and all that kind of stuff, going and getting their fortunes read. You know what I'm saying? Like even Christians get pulled into that. That's a great FC. I, that could, I like, okay, so we're, we're coming to a compromise here. I think if you use this as your FCF and because you are light through Christ, you must avoid and expose darkness. That's a really good proposition. Um, which one of these is your, is your constant? Which one of these? Um, Okay, and then the you must avoid darkness, you must expose darkness. Is that your... Well, and also you must walk in light. Okay. Because that was the other main passage. Good. Nice. The only thing is you're... Uh, if you add, so avoid and expose darkness. The only thing I would say that might make it a little bit better is if if you if you combine that into something like confront darkness and then your points where you must avoid darkness are because confronting is not avoiding um how do you avoid and expose at the same time do you like fight it or something i'm just curious ephesians 5 8 through 14 does he say to avoid it? He says have no fellowship with it, which I thought was pretty much the same. Have no fellowship. Okay, good. Rather expose them. Okay. What does expose mean? To bring it to light. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Go with it. See what you come up with. Uh, Pat. Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 20, the armor of God. Uh-huh. Uh, my FCF is um, we cannot see our biggest enemy. That's good, yeah. Hey there. And your proposition would be? Um, because we are at war, we must equip ourselves with the Word of God. Because we are at war, we must equip ourselves, we must equip ourselves with the Word of God. Okay. The, uh, so, waste with truth, breastplate of righteousness, Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith. Are these all the word of God? Helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. See, I think that's... No, but I remember when Christ was tempted, he used the word of God three times. Right. Um, we need all these weapons, obviously. Um, Did you say the armor of God? The armor of God? Yeah. We equip ourselves with the armor of God? Yeah. Or... Because the armor of God is kind of a cliche in the sense of if you say the armor of God, people immediately think Ephesians 6. You could use, sometimes I do this, uh, I think it's helpful. You could use a word that means kind of the same thing but makes people think. Like if I were preaching this, I might say something like the tools of God. The weapons of God, the tools, like the the equipment that God provides. Well, you know, catcher we would call the catcher's gear tools of ignorance. <laughs> tools of ignorance. Only a fool. Only a fool. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they were called the tools. I I, I did that a lot. When I, didn't I first know. read this, I remember being a catcher or like an ex-boxer yeah. where you had to you know defend yourself. So. Yeah. So I think a tool, a tool or equipment, or tool. you could say armor. You could, I'm just going to put armor right now. But the tools of God is that. But but I, I don't know if that's the best word. I'm just saying. Oops, I misspelled armor. Is that armor? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Armor slash tool of God. I'm just saying something like if if you want, I, I don't. I wouldn't use the word because the word really is this one verse here. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The rest of this, you have all these different spiritual spiritual things that you're using. So that should not be. You should not limit yourself just to saying Word of God. Even though Jesus did use the Word of God. But um, there's all these other things you don't want to ignore. So I'm thinking maybe maybe you broaden that out and say something like armor of, uh, of God or 
tools of God or the equipment that God. Yeah, the the tool chest, the uh, the equipment chest. I don't know. It's got to be something, but um. Yeah. yeah, you know, when we were in England, we went to a castle and they had an armory thing there. They had a whole, uh, we were at uh, Dover Castle walking around and we saw, oh, no, I think it was um, the Tower of London, one of those. Is that where it is? Yeah. They had the jewels, the crown jewels and everything. But they also had uh, these armor things and they had uh, this one suit of armor for a 12 year old prince. That was authentic. It was like when he was 12. It was his, and he was like that tall. It was really short. It was surprising. It was like could have fit Nelson <laughs> or smaller. He was probably too big for it. But it was a full shiny armor. And I can't imagine trying to get around to that stuff, but couldn't hardly see through it. But does that, does that make sense, Pat? I mean, I think, it's, I think it's a good FCF. Is it best to say because we are at war or because you are at war? I always say we. Oh, then, oh, the second we probably needs to be changed. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Because you are at war? No, because, because we are Yeah, because you because we are at war, you must equip yourself. Yeah. I, that's what I think you should do. It's the you must. If, the you must. So because we are at war, you go to you now. You must mm-hmm. equip yourself with the tools. Armor, tools, yeah. equipment of God, however you want to say it. Okay. Um, or should I say we the second time as well? No, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, because you want to, when you're preaching, you want to be as... It's, it, it, our tendency is to back away from confrontation when we're preaching. We feel kind of funny saying "you must." It just makes it just makes us feel funny. But in reality, that is exactly what you're called to do. I come to get convicted. Yeah. But not everyone's the same. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, when, when you're teaching, it's one thing when you're sitting there. Like, people don't mind. People don't mind you preaching and saying "you must do this." Like, that's what like you're saying. That's what they're there for. They're there to hear the word explained and applied. But as a preacher, sometimes when you're doing the explaining and applying, you, you either are a little uncertain. You're like, I just feel a little funny, like being that authoritative, like it's God's word. And I, I'm just me. Like we all feel insecure sometimes about that. And what I'm trying to encourage you to do is, is get beyond that and say, no, it's you need to say you. You take away that that insecurity and say you must, because if God's calling them to do it, it's not you telling them to do it. It's God telling them to do it. You're just the messenger. And once you get that, that kind of out of your, out of your system um, and you, you understand that, I think it really does help. Does that make sense? Yes. And if you ever need to point to me during the sermon, go ahead. I think I will. <laughs> this guy right here. I just feel bad. Pat sits so close. I'm sure he gets showered with, with, uh, with spittle occasionally. I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah. Let me have it. I'm a horrible person. Yeah. I, we all, I, by God's grace, right? Um, who are the saints? We are the saints. Um, Wendy. Okay. Well, I appreciate a lot of help on here. Um, oh, absolutely. That's what we're here for. My, um, I'm Philippians 2, 1 through 13. My FCF, um, I just kept it. We are selfish people looking out for our own interests, even to the division of the church body. And that my propositional statement is very wordy, um, but because Christ humbled himself, becoming obedient to death on the cross with the future promise of exaltation, we can humble ourselves for the sake of unifying of the church body. Let me get this right here. Because Christ humbled himself, becoming obedient to the death, to the point of death? Oh, yeah. The point of death? On the cross. On the cross. With the future promise of exaltation. With the future promise. With the future? Yeah, with the future. Exaltation. We can humble ourselves for the sake of unifying the body, the church body. Okay, a couple things. You, the we here should be you, and the can must should be must. You must humble yourself. For the sake of unifying the church body. You see how that's more confrontational? And yes, you need to... What's that? Is that top part Yeah, it's a little bit. We're going to get there. Let's look at it. Because Christ humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross, the future promise of exaltation. This whole phrase here is describing the humbling of himself, right? How did he humble himself? Well, he became obedient to the point of death. Um... Well, what you could probably do is back this up and say, because Christ obediently 
humble themselves. Because Christ, or our example, if you want to see. Obediently humbled himself. You must humble yourself for the sake of unifying the church. You don't have to get into all the details of the proposition. So the difference between an exegetical proposition and a homiletical proposition is that the exegetical... I'll email this to you guys. You don't have to get every word down. The exegetical proposition tries to encompass every detail about the passage. Homiletical proposition is the main idea. It's not going to encompass every single detail but every single point of your message. It's the main idea, then you flesh. It's like you then open that up, and from that proposition, you then unfold it. Okay? So, because Christ, our example, obediently humbled himself, what does it look like for Christ to humble himself? Well, do you have all these examples? Okay. He did not count equality with God to be thing to be grasped. He took upon himself the form of servant, became likeness of men, humbled himself, fashioned man, to the point of death, even death on a cross. What, what did he anticipate when he humbled himself? Wherefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name of every name. Um, so in all this, you know, you must humble yourself. Why? For the sake of the unified body. Um, okay. uh, that, I mean, that's, I don't know if that's perfect. Because Christ, our example, obediently humbled himself. You must humble yourself for the sake of unifying the church body. But it's, it's, it, it, I think it's, you don't need all, the, all of the details that you put in there. Any any comments, thoughts? Because you will develop that in your message slash lesson, like you, that those things that you just mentioned, um, that was really well said. I, I wouldn't like totally trash that. I mean, you you can use that later because that was really well said. I I just think that that'll be expanded later on. It, it doesn't really fit quite here. No, you're welcome. Uh, right. Christy. Um, I have Genesis 37, 12 through um, 36. And my FCF, I did. Sometimes we feel like we're being punished before we know the purpose God has for us. And then my proposition was because God always has a purpose for our suffering, we must trust him even if he doesn't reveal it to you. Okay, say it again. Because God always has a purpose for our suffering. You must trust Him even if He doesn't reveal it to you. Okay. Okay. This right here, we, we can probably we can probably tweak that a little bit. You can't see it, even if, you know what I'm highlighting? The even if he, the last part, even if he doesn't reveal it to you part. Uh, yeah, you can't see the highlights. It's, wow, you really can't see the highlights. Really can't yeah. either, so. Sorry. You can't read this at all? I'll make it bigger. No, I'm just fine. I can't. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's just get rid of this right here. <laughs> I put it up till I was about 38, and I'm like, I'm, I'm driving around town with this truck. <laughs> because God always has a purpose for our sufferings, you must trust him even if he doesn't reveal it to you. I wonder if you can think of a way of making that slightly... Um, yeah, and remember we talked about showing, don't telling, like a way of... So, like, what about this? What about something like, I'm just going to give you one, and you tell me what you think. Because God always has a purpose for our suffering, you must trust him even when he is silent. Yeah. Just figure I keep it silent. Yeah. Allow, allow for the <laughs> pregnant pause. Um, so don't talk about, like, him or you. Well, you can talk about it later. I'm not no, saying. I mean, I mean, in, in the, the prop. Well, what it, it doesn't reveal it in silent is the same, right? Isn't it? How is that? I mean, that's not quite exactly the same thing. Yeah. Would you say? So you're saying say silence. <laughs> Excuse me. Wordy and less obvious, or. Or even if you don't see the end. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I try to stay away from negatives if I can in a propositional statement just because um, you must trust him even if he is silent to me. I don't know why this is. Maybe y'all can help me out. I, to me, it sounds, it sounds more interesting. It sounds more like, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it, than then how, how uh, even if he doesn't reveal it to you. Um, because the thing is, God did reveal, like Joseph does know at the end, part of the reason. Remember he says, God did this to save, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good to save many people alive to this day. So it's not that God doesn't reveal it, it's that he waited to reveal it. I guess what I was looking at was more the fact, because I haven't, I don't go that far into the story. Right, right. So I know I'm just going to be a glimpse at it. So at this point, he's yeah. not revealed it. Got it. So I guess that's what I was thinking. But, I mean. Yeah. I Charles, you have an idea? Would it be too much of a generalization to say you must trust him unconditionally? Period. Trust him unconditionally. It's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what he does, doesn't it? But it's, it's a little bit far, it's a little bit upstream from where I think she is. And I'm trying to stay pretty close to where you are. You're kind of talking about the fact that I think Joseph wants to know what's going on, but he can't, he doesn't know. God doesn't tell him, like he has these dreams, these promises, but it seems like God's promises aren't going to be fulfilled because all the promises are like, I'm in a jail cell in Egypt away from my brother's. The promises that God gave me, I don't know if they're going to come true. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a part that wasn't in the opinion. That part in Psalm 5, that he was you could even say you can even say that you can even say that if you wanted to, even if he doesn't reveal why. Well, you may have you must keep your faith at all costs. You know, keep your faith. Yeah, tr- that's fine too. I I mean, I just something about reveal it to you just to me seemed a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm not I'm not trying to be hard. I th- I think it's good. I, I'm just trying to. There's something about I'm trying to figure out. Because God always has a purpose for our suffering, you must trust him even when he doesn't reveal why. I don't know. Even if he doesn't reveal his reason. Something like, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I would say it's like, you're like 90% there, 95% there. Just, just think about tweaking around the edges and refining it, even as you go along. But I think you're on the right track. And I don't want to mess up your, change it too much, because I think you got the right idea. So we'll, we'll leave it with what you had. And then if you, I'm going to put here a couple comments here. Uh, even it, when, when he is silent slash doesn't reveal it, uh, doesn't reveal why. And I'm just going to put that kind of right here in a different color so you can see it when I email it to you. That's what we had talked about. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the right move. Yeah, Donna. You got an FCF? Oh, your passage is James 1. James 1, 1 through 8. Uh huh. FCF. Y'all, I cheated. I called and talked to him about it. Okay, my FCF, <laughs> I'm just going to say. That's wisdom. Everyone's around. Here you go. That's wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I think of that? Um, FCF is we do not understand why we go through trials. And the um, proposition is because God has a plan. For your trials, you must respond to trials in faith. That's kind of similar to Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. You can almost preach these two. I mean, they're, they're very similar points, right? But one is Joseph and one is James 1. And they're going to be different messages, but they're going to have a similar big idea. Yeah. You must respond to trial. Any, any comments or any thoughts to help her? Where we were kind of working on is this first part here, especially because God has us plan for your trials, like trying to think about the different parts of James one that all basically give us that, you know, 
trying to be broad enough to encompass all that. Good. Charles. Last week, let's see if can do a little better. 1 John 1. Uh, yeah, it's all propositional truth. <laughs> yeah, it is. The um, exhortations are implied, though. There are three that are implied, so I kind of put that in there. So the FCF uh, might be able to leave off the first subordinate clause which is, though forgiven and blessed with the new life in Christ, believers habitually sin and fail to please God and therefore cannot experience the fullness of joy offered to them. Habitually sin and fail to please God mm -hmm. uh, and therefore fail to please? experience the fullness of joy. You can stop it there. That's, so yeah. Offered to them because that's what yeah. John Right. So again, I'm going to say the same thing I said to somebody else about putting all, I think it might have been Wendy, about all the details yeah. of the passage are not necessary in your sermonic and your homiletical proposition. So, um, that's the FCF there, though, my proposition. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So what's your proposition? Proposition is, and I, I could use uh, second person or third person reference here. Uh, I erased you and put believers, but it could be either one. Because okay. believers habitually sin, especially unconsciously, you must confess known sins immediately, walk in the light, and keep his commandments to experience the fullness of joy that comes only through fellowship with Christ. Yeah. Say that, say that a little slower. Because believers habitually sin, especially unconsciously, we must, and you have three things there. We must confess known sins immediately. Known sins immediately. Walk in the light. Walk. In the light. And keep his commandments to experience the fullness of joy that comes only through fellowship with Christ. Okay. Um, so that's a really good proposition that encompasses the, the, the entirety of that passage. It's just... It's just that gives so much material that you really, if you could, if you could summarize some of those thoughts into smaller units so that you could then expound mm -hmm. into, that's almost like a whole, like what you say there, you could easily break out into your outline, into a message. You know what I'm saying? Like you've done so much work on this front end that really the rest of this process for you is going to be rather simple. Uh, the sim the hard part is getting simple so that when people leave, like nobody's going to be able to, able to remember that thought in their mind as they, I guess I never really communicated that to you guys, but one of the other ideas behind a proposition is you want to be simple enough <clears throat> that if people are sitting around eating dinner after lunch, or eating lunch after, <laughs> you know, dinner after lunch after, after church, uh, <laughs> um, however many meals they have in a day, who knows? <laughs> but as they eat their meal and their talk, there's someone who will say like, what was the message about today? I forgot. Somebody's like, oh, yeah, it was about God having a purpose for our sufferings, so we need to trust him, even when we don't know when he, he doesn't reveal it to us. Like, that's simple. It's a simple idea. Um, and Charles has a, has a, has a really, it's a, there's a simple nugget in there. Um, well, I, I, so let's, put, hold on, let's break this down. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was tempted to, uh, even before coming to class here to scratch out and keep his commandments because that's kind of included in walking in the light. Okay, so let me just kind of show you what I see here. <clears throat> I see this section here. I'm going to highlight it and make it a different color. I'm going to make it a... Can you see that yellow? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, I see this as a second section right here. See if it turns green on us here. Okay. And I see a third section here. Okay. That's what I see. I see believers habitually sin. So how do you solve that problem? We need to confess known sin, walk in the light, keep his commandments. Why? To experience the fullness of joy that comes through fellowship with Christ. Okay, so let's find a way to say that simpler and make sure we include this, the essence of all three units. And, what, and I'm just gonna, we're going to do one here. I'm going to do it really briefly, and then you can tweak it on your own. Um, uh, you could say, uh, uh, because, you know, because we sin, 
Okay, you're going to say, all of us sin, we sin. We have the we there. I wonder if... You know, it's a funny thing. I went through the whole passage of 16 verses there. John used first person. Uh, yeah, he does. Mostly 40 times. Second person, you or uh, yours, uh, seven times. And third person, he or him, only six times. Yeah, so it's almost, it would be stylistically consistent for you to use we. So it'd be fun. I mean, yeah. He's writing to believers. He's including himself among the believers. Yeah. Because we sin. How about this? Saul, I'm going to put solve sin God's way. I, I, that may not be the way you want to say it. Um, to receive God's joy. Okay, that's really, really short and not very enough. I didn't spend a lot of time on that. But if you would spend some more time, you probably could make this better. But the idea is because we sin, we must solve our sin God's way to receive God's joy. Um, because, you know, confessing known sins, walking the light, keeping his commandments is God's way of dealing with our sin. Our way of dealing with our sins is to excuse, to, to negotiate, to to justify all these things, to not confess, but we have to deal with it. So why should we deal with it? To receive God's joy or to experience God's joy or something like that. I, I don't know if that's the right answer, if that's the right proposition for you, Charles, but that's kind of the direction I think you ought to head. Does that make sense? Okay, Kevin. So I had uh, Philippians 1, 19 30. Okay. And uh, my SCF is um, Christians live how they want to live. Christians live how they want to live? Yes. Okay. And then my proposition is, um, because your life should honor Christ, you must make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. You must? You yeah. should? Yeah, you, you must make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because your life should honor Christ, <clears throat> you must make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay. Uh, that's a little bit saying the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like both sides of that. Um, um, there's your key idea here, right? Because your life should honor Christ, you should make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Where do you get the part about honoring Christ? Is that the I live, uh, me to live as Christ and die as gain? Mm -hmm. um, all, that whole first section about um, him like remaining. So this is all about honoring Christ through his life and his ministry. And the trials. Okay. Could you almost shorten that second part and say, because your life should honor Christ, you must live Christ-like or something like that? Would that still make sense? So kind of have the same concepts? Or would that kind of take away from that? I kind of like the second part. Like, I kind of like, you must make your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I, I think that that works. Or something like that. Maybe you tweak, make your life worthy. Maybe can you make, you know, choose conduct worthy or live life worthy or something like that. But this first part, you should, because your life should honor Christ, you should make your life worthy. I, I, for some reason, I'm not, I'm seeing, it sounds almost like it's the same. Like, I'm trying to figure out why, and I don't know. I, I may have to just sit, sit, think on it. Does anybody have any ideas? Because your life should honor Christ, you must live life worthy of the gospel of Christ, or something like that. Would that seem less repetitive? So maybe, but like, is this? You're saying the FCF and the proposition seem repetitive? No, I'm saying that the internally the proposition, the both sides of the proposition, seem to be saying the same thing. What if you just took life out of the first part? So because you should honor Christ, 
Or what if it just said because you must we make your life worthy of the gospel? Of or Christ. what if because we live for Christ? Like simple it down. Yeah, because because we live for Christ. Or identity is Christ. Is that what he's, is he saying? Our identity is he, what is he saying with that? Is he really talking about honoring Christ? It seems to be like um, he says that he wants Christ to be honored in his life, whether by life, by death. Yeah, yeah. What if he said, "Because your life is Christ's, you must make your life worthy of Him." Because your life belongs to Christ. I think that's it. Because you have should honor here. It's just like a command. I th- I think that's it. Because your life belongs. To Christ, you must make your life worth. That makes more sense. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the reason why. It's because what you were saying was you were almost like saying, you need to honor life, honor Christ with your life by honoring Christ with your life. Mm-hmm. Where what you should say is because you are owned by Christ, you should honor life, Christ, or because because you want I don't know something. Maybe it's not you belong to Christ or whatever. But that that's the idea. It has to be a truth and exhortation. Okay, we're a little bit over. I hope that helped. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to save this document. I'm going to email it to all of you. Yes. Oh, Derek. I missed you. I'm so sorry. Derek, man. Sorry, I hurt my feelings. Daniel, too. Well, you know, Daniel asked if he could have some time, so go ahead. We'll give you time. Yeah, so my FCF was sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we feel trapped and wonder if God abandoned us. And then the proposition is because God is faithful and sovereign, no matter your situation, you can trust God. Um. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we feel trapped. We wonder if God abandoned us. I would just say you must. You must trust God. Yeah, you, you make it. It's not that they can. Is that I mean, you are saying, hey, you can do this, mm-hmm. but really, what you ought to be saying is you should be doing this. Right. Not just that you are able to do it, but you should. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Anybody have any thoughts? Um. I think I would maybe just move like no matter your situation to the end, like because God is faithful and sovereign, and you must trust God. Like that? Yeah. I mean, if he likes it, I mean, but because then it just keeps the focus there on like God being faithful and sovereign. That's kind of really important. He's just sovereignty. Yeah. It's up to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really know how I would do it if I were in your shoes, but either way is probably fine. Trust God no matter your situation. God is faithful and sovereign. It depends on what, what your focus is. Is it about the thinking or about the trusting? Is the focus on the trusting no matter your situation or about the fact that believing God is faithful? No matter the situation you find yourself in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it, it can kind of go both ways. Yeah, like said, I've been going back and forth on a lot of that, like on this <laughs> proposition. Because honestly, I started off going that route. Mm-hmm. It was more of like God showing Himself faithful, uh, and obviously, I kind of kept in that first part there. But um, yeah, I don't know. in other words, you can uh, you can leave that if you want, because God is faithful and sovereign, no matter how it looks. It's basically, what you're saying, right? On the second God, you just said Him. Maybe make it more personal. There you go. You've already said God, so we know who you're talking about. Yeah, you must trust Him. Him is more like personal, like my Father, not just this guy far away, but yep. Him, you know, close, mm-hmm. personal. That's just a, something to think about. Yeah, on all the all the, guys, great job, everybody, great job. I'm very very happy with how y'all worked on this. Well done, all of you. Um, it, it, these are great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email you this document. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't leave. I skipped right over you. Donna walked in. I was like, ah, Donna's here. Um, so uh, we will uh, uh, meet next week. Make sure you look at your assignment sheet for what to do for next week. Yes, ma'am. Can you email us the difference between the homiletical and exegetical outline?
exegetical outline is your outline for your exegetical... Oh, yeah. I thought I, thought I handed out a thing last week about that. Didn't I not? We talked about it after everyone left. So I was trying to ask you what the difference was. Between like, a homiletical and exegetical outline? Well, that was your exegetical, you know... We'll talk about it next week in class. But we have to turn it in next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at your... Let's see here. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a, it's because you must, okay? So, so you're doing a because you must, and I didn't get a chance to do your, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do your very best you can with the worksheet that I gave you, that I gave you. It's like worksheet three or something, which is a exegetical, which is a, a, a homiletical outline worksheet. It's in the worksheets at the beginning of your, of your thing. And it's like, it's got lines. It's like, because you must, because you must. It's very simple. The idea is, is that you're going to take your proposition, you're going to write that at the top, and then underneath that, you're going to, whatever one is the anchor, the switch. Remember that whole thing we talked about where one is the anchor, one's the switch, one you're going to do every time? Develop your propositional statement out where one of your sides of your proposition is going to repeat every single time. If in your outline, the other side is going to change. And see how, see how it comes.